Welcome to Wizard in the Book, the unofficial Dresden Files podcast, the book series by Jim Butcher. In this episode, we're on Stormfront, Chapter 8. Last time, we've learned that the wizard detective Dresden has two cases he's working on. One is for the Chicago Police Department, where two people were found with their hearts magically exploded out of their chests. The second one was a missing husband named Victor Sales from a very scared housewife. Dresden went out to Victor Sales' house and was accosted by his wizard probation officer, Morgan, who thinks Dresden killed the two people. So he's got to look into, see, maybe how did these people get their hearts exploded? Or get himself killed? In this chapter, it starts with him going home to his basement apartment And it ends with him mixing some potions and going to sleep. Some of the main things that happened in this episode are, well, we meet Bob the Skull, the main series regular from here on out. We also learn a lot about potions. And we'll talk about some other things. We learn a little bit about Harry Dresden himself, mostly about his his apartment. What's in it, how he lives. We learn that he can tell the approximate time by the position of the stars and moon, which you would... I don't know if that's accurate. I guess if he knows the date, he would know that the stars and moon were supposed to be in a certain position during a time. I guess that does work. Does he average that into his wizardry? Or is that just, you know, maybe he was a Boy Scout when he was young. guess we'll never know. His hobby is magic, particularly in the case of alchemy. He sort of, he explained himself, you know, some people have hobbies. Some people, you know, collect baseball cards or they know a lot about video games or something like that. He's pretty much just a nerd that sits around and does magic. That's pretty much all he does. Although he does read. We learned that earlier, so I guess he couldn't take that into the office, though. When he had his pile of paperbacks in the office in his first chapter. But, hey, who knows? He lives in a basement apartment. He stopped by in the last chapter, but here's a full description because we get the full, here's what's happening. It's a big roomy house divided into different apartments. Dresden has the bottom two floors, the basement and the sub-basement, which is cheaper rent than everybody in all the floors above him, but he also lives underground. It's a large studio apartment with a kitchenette and a fireplace, lots of carpets and tapestries on the walls, bedroom and bathroom. His staff and sword cane are in one corner. Bookshelves all over the place that hurt my library and heart to say that they're unorganized. Lights often mess up. His heating is dangerous with his wizard. I don't know if you call that an ability to mess things up, but him being a wizard, he doesn't want to worry about blowing himself up. So he usually uses candles and the fireplace, which, you know, he can set off with his own little fire spell, apparently. Or he says that he makes a quick fire. So whether or not he actually uses magic to do that, or he sits there with some tinder and some matches and you know gets to work, good old Boy Scout style. Again, I'm not sure. And he mostly uses a charcoal stove to keep warm. And I guess to cook with, I'm not sure. His sub-basement underneath is like a little trap door with a rug over it that he uses for a lab. That's where he does all his magical doings. It's lit by kerosene burners and lamps. There's a long table in the center of the room with a bunch of tables on the other, on three of the walls. There's a clear space at the end with a brass circle set into the floor with U-shaped bolts. So he's got his own, we can only assume, 
some weird magic circle over there. There are shelves over the tables crowded with empty cages and containers in all shapes of sizes, and a pair of unusual antlers, some fur pelts, musty books and notebooks filled with handwriting, and Bob the Skull. He can't use a computer, so he basically uses Bob. We'll get into Bob a little bit later, though. He uses a heavy flannel robe, mostly because it's cold and because that's what wizards wear, I guess. Or he postulates that it's wizards wear that because it's cold in their little labs. We also learn that he's moral. Uh, Bob, at one point, mentions, hey, you could use a love potion on Susan. Or maybe he thinks it himself. I can't remember exactly. But the situation rises where, hey, he could use this love potion to prove Susan that magic's real. Even though she's, in her one appearance a couple chapters ago, we pretty much can say that she thinks magic's real. So I don't know why he would need to prove anything other than his own horniness. But he does have his moral disposition saying that would be taking advantage of her. This chapter, we also meet Mr. Mr. is Dresden's cat. Uh, The name Mr. comes as a weakened form of master. Uh, Apparently in the 16th century, when people started writing things down more, they abbreviated master to MR, and idiots just said Mr. instead of master, because they didn't know any better. So that's how we get master, or Mr., Mr. is described as an enormous gray cat, about 30 pounds with no fat, lean, mean animal. Missing his tail, probably from a dog or a car, because he apparently hates both of those animals. He was found in the garbage three years before as a little kitten. He rams into Harry's leg hard enough to imbalance him, so he's got some he's got some weight to him. Knows how to throw it around. And when he, Harry goes to sleep, Mr. lays down on his legs purrs loudly. We've already alluded to the man, the legend, but Bob the Skull shows up, finally. Now, the name Bob comes from, uh, well, it's most likely originated, nobody's 100% sure. It's a very simple syllable, Bob. But it mostly originated from the hypocrism. I believe it's how you say that. Hippocorism. Rob, short for Robert. Uh, See, back in the day, when people were coming up with nicknames for people, it was almost that like Cockney rhyming scheme where people would just come up with three different, four different names. So that's how you get like Richard. Apparently some people, they call him Rick. Makes sense. But if you ever wondered why they call him Dick. And apparently another one's Hick. So Rick, Hick, Dick. They also came up with Bill or Will for William. And Robert became Rob, Hob, Dob, or Bob. Bob came up a little bit later actually. And didn't get really popular until Bob Cratchit came along. He was one of the most famous, along with Bob Dylan and Bob Marley. Uh, The name Skull, from Bob the Skull, comes from he's a skull. I didn't look up the origin of the name, because it's mostly just a descriptor. So, hey, there you go. Bob the Skull himself is a talking head. So, here's sort of a meta how he was created. Jim Butcher was in a writing program. We talked about that way back in, I think, the episode zero, talking about Stormfront and its creation. But he had a, he wanted to know a way to convey magical ideas and thoughts, have someone Harry could talk to, but not just a, you know, maybe another wizard or somebody like that that was clued in, but not essential to the story. And his professor at the time was like, well, yeah, that'd be great. Just don't make it into a talking head. Which, if you've ever watched 
a TV show and had the person, uh, you'll have two people on the TV show and one of them just kind of walks in and says, yeah, you see this a lot on the CSI and stuff like that. You'll have a guy come in and he'll say like, you know, of course he was killed with this kind of knife because only this kind of knife is found in this kind of scenario. And then the guy just walks out again and our heroes go and use that information to prove it. It's a exposition. It's a info dump that happens a lot in a lot of stories. And once you see it, you can't really unsee it. So to make fun of the concept of a talking head, he literally made a talking head. Jim Butcher did in Bob the Skull. So it's sort of an in-joke, and it later gets into the mythos of the story itself. Now, Bob, as described as living in a bleached white skull in the lab, he was prepared. The skull was prepared for him several hundred years ago. So Bob is old. He has orangish flickering candle-like flames as eyes, and they move to red whenever Dresden talks about his sex life. So they're very expressive. That's how his most expression comes out. Bob apparently doesn't like puns. I noticed when Dresden makes a joke and he's just like, that's not funny. He has some control over the skull itself and acts accordingly to how he's talking. So he like yawns, he talks, of course, moves the jaw. He somehow whistles without lips. So he's got, he's a spirit living in the skull, but animates the skull as if that were his skull. Very strange. We are told he is a spirit of the air, sort of like a fairy, but different, a spirit of intellect that remembers things for Dresden. We're not sure if every wizard has, like, can you imagine Morgan with a Bob the Skull? It just seems kind of weird. So we're sort of left wondering how other wizards remember all this stuff. And of course, Dresden has all these things written in books and stuff. So maybe, maybe all of them have some type of creature like this. Who knows? At this point in the story, we do not. And I'm not going to go further, even if you have read the series. So... What exactly is a spirit of the air or spirit of the intellect? Well, if you go into myth, there is the sylph or the syphid, a myth- mythological spirit of air. The term originates in the 16th century, where it was invisible beings of the air or elementals of the air. The German physician and alchemist Periclesis first coined the term when he was actually thinking about the four classical elements and what makes them up. The four classical elements, of course, Air, wind, water, fire, and earth, I think. Maybe fire isn't in there. I forget. But he he described the that each one of these elements had different spirits. There were oh here we go. I do have this down. I'm sorry. There so sylph were the air, gnomes were the earth, salamanders were fire, and undines were for water. Who knows how he came up with salamanders for fire, but there you are. And I think I've remembered salamanders for fire and other, besides like Pokemon, Charmander, whatever. But anyway, so that's that's how, that's what, you know, the classical idea of an air spirit is, or the only one I could really find. There are some talk in them of, in William Shakespeare's like Midsummer Night's Dream, where a slender girl may be referred to as a sylph. But beyond that, that's all I found in that kind of thing. Like I said, Bob's job is to remember things. He has worked for 
dozens of wizards over the years. He's hundreds of years old. He has a great knowledge of magic and magical forces. He can extrapolate potion ingredients in the quasi-physical world. And Dresden uses that term a lot, quasi-mystical, quasi-physics. I can't remember exactly what he says. That's going to bug me. I should have written it down. But yeah, Bob, Bob is in tune with the way the world works and can communicate that to wizards. He has a cocky attitude and a preoccupation with sex. And apparently it believes he has a masculinity, which is very strange. Uh, he is sort of trapped in his skull and needs Harry to let him out. But the last time he went out, he caused issues at a sorority and got some romance novels, apparently, which keys back in with that preoccupation with sex. And back in the day, he apparently used to seduce shepherdesses. Shepherdesses. Female shepherd, female shepherds, however you say that. And that's all we've got for Bob the Skull in this chapter, which is a lot, but still. Now, the cultural and supernatural things that work in this chapter that get brought up. Uh, we get a mention of Sherlock Holmes, mostly because Harry's talking about like how he does magic because he's a giant nerd. He kind of wishes that he was like Sherlock Holmes, who played the violin. Of course, we all know who Sherlock Holmes is, fictional private detective created by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, known as a consulting detective, and pretty much very apropos to bring up in this series. Uh, first printed in 1887, Study in Scarlet. He also brings up Captain Nemo, the Disney version, played the organ. So it's just another thing he decided to bring up. I don't know why that seems to be a thing he brought up. It seems weird. But in the Disney version, James Mason played Captain Nemo. He's also known as Prince Dakar, I think is how you say that. He's a fictional character created by Jules Verne, and he appeared in two novels, 20,000 Leagues Under the Sea and The Mysterious Island. He also showed up in Journey Through the Impossible for a second. Now, here's what we get most in this chapter is about potions. We learn how potions work, how the mystical, magical potions you know, coalesce, uh, various potions that Dresden's tried over the years. The basics of making a potion were pretty much need eight ingredients and a couple hours. So not a ton of time. But unlike spells, uh, which rely on intent, potions must rely on these specific details. But because it takes about two hours, you can usually do two or three at a time. Usually two, three, pushing it. And they're only good for a couple of days, so they run out. Like I said, they require eight ingredients, a base liquid, and something to engage each of the senses, the mind, and the spirit. For each potion, it's always different. Even if you're doing one one wizard's doing a love potion and another potion's doing a love another wizard's doing a love potion, the ingredients can be completely different for both wizards, even though they're making the same potion, because of who they are. Sort of like the whole true name thing we've talked about ad nauseum. Apparently there's green smoke after energy is released when the wizard creates the spell. And Dresden keeps them in sports bottles labeled with a magic marker. Because he's a wizard. In the 20th century, I guess. And how else would you do it? It makes sense to me. Now, the he makes two potions here. An escape potion. It smells really bad, apparently. But it makes you like the wind, Bob says. Sort of like teleporting and super speed all at once. 
We don't get to see it used. We just get to see him make it. The ingredients are as follows. The base liquid is Jolt Cola. For the smell is motor oil. For the tactile, the touch is bird feathers cut into tiny shavings. For taste, it's chocolate-covered espresso beans powdered. For the mind is a shredded bus ticket. The heart is a small broken chain, which I don't really get in this for making yourself into the wind, a small broken chain, but eh, whatever. For the sights, a flickering shadow. And for the sound is mouse scampers. Now, because Bob is a little preoccupied with his predilections, I guess would be the best way to say it. He also sort of blackmails Dresden into making a love potion. And a very, it's really funny the way he does it. Like, you know, well, I'm not going to tell you how to make it. Unless you make a love potion, you can use it on your girlfriend. He's like, I'm not doing it. And then Dresden's like, well, I guess I don't have to. And I guess I, you know, I can make it or whatever. And I'm going to go ahead and say right now, this is a Chekhov's love potion. We can go heads up on that. Now, Dresden says love potions are generally cheap to make. But I'm going to call bull on that because... Some of the ingredients in here are pretty expensive and a lot more expensive than the escape potion, I'm guessing. So the liquid base is tequila, which usually it's champagne. That's what Harry says, but Bob's making it a little sleazier. And that's supposed to lower inhibitions. The smell is perfume. The tactile is shredded lace. Taste chocolate for taste. And for the mind, he says a powdered diamond. But Dresden's like, I don't have a powdered diamond. He's like, okay, have a $50 bill. And for the heart, he wants a passionate love letter. But Dresden's like, I also don't have passionate love letters. So they go, okay, this is where the romance novels come in. Take page 53 or whatever. I can't remember exact page, but he says exact pages. And, and shred those up and you can use those or burn them. And for the sight, it's candlelight, candlelight and a sigh for the sound. So it's a very weird love potion that is super expensive it's at least fifty dollars and more if it was a diamond tequila is not you know it's not super expensive but there it is and all this other stuff a passionate love letter you wouldn't want to burn that that's i mean that's not like monetarily expensive but you know you maybe want to keep that around i don't know it's weird uh other potions that Dresden has tried was a diet potion because he was trying to get rich, an anti-gravity potion that messed up the floor in the lab, and a hair tonic that was mixed up with an invisibility spell. That's how we know he can't grow a beard very well. And yeah, he apparently mixed those up and something went horribly wrong, but Dresden's fine, so we can only assume everything went fine. There's also a mention of Sir Gawain. Gawain? I've said, I've heard that say many many times. I can't remember the last time I actually heard it said, though. He was a knight of the round table, King Arthur time. He was a nephew. He was known to be very, uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Loyal, I guess is the best way. Well, he was known as the, he's compassionate. He was known as the maiden's knight, a defender of women, the poor. He was friends to young knights. He helped everybody up. He's just a good guy. And the story that he's involved in, Sir Gawain and the I think Green Knight, yes. It's too long to go into here. It's mostly about this Green Knight tricking Sir Gawain and tempting him with his wife. And in the end, we all learn that Sir Gawain's a good guy after all. 
which is very comparative to Dresden, that he's he's a good guy no matter what else. And it's sort of – they've sort of compared him here not in the best way, but still, it, it's a good story and it still works out. Jolt Cola was the base for the escape potion. In case you're not curious what Jolt Cola is, it's a real thing. I've actually drank it. Used to the college I went to, a gas station right out in front that had Jolt Cola there. And I used to drink it all the time because I'd heard it was super caffeinated, but I never noticed any worse. But I also used to drink coffee like it was water, so who knows? Uh, carbonated soft drink. It always tasted to me sort of like a watered-down Pepsi. I don't know. It's just weird. It came from the Jolt Cola Company. The Jolt Company, sorry. Uh, created in 1985 by C.J. Rapp as a highly caffeinated beverage targeted towards students, young professionals, sort of like an energy drink back in the day. Uh, didn't do so well. 2009, wet plant beverages filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy, and it was bought up by Immigrant Savings Bank, which apparently is still selling out Jolt Cola, even though I haven't seen it in almost... I probably haven't seen one in 10 years. But there you go. It's not any better or worse. I never had any like affection for it, but... It is what it was outside of just reading it. It was one of those, it's supposed to eat through the glass bottle. That's why it's only in plastic. Uh, whatever, man. Uh, we learned a little bit about magic in this episode. That it comes from special places, focus, or inside people, like your willpower, your emotions. And the place it comes from, and from the inside, is always the best. And while he's making his potions here, he uses his worry, his apprehension, to create the potions to put power into the potions because after you mix all the stuff up, you got to give it a little bit of willpower to exactly what it's supposed to be. And like I said, potions are different for every wizard. That's what I sort of have questions with in a second, but well, let's get to the questions. So he can remember some of the ingredients for some of the potions, but not all of them. And we see that he has handwritten journals all over the place. Why doesn't he write that down? Even if he changes and magic changes or whatever, it can't be too far off from what he's used before, right? I mean, I know Bob's supposed to help him and make all the calculations and make sure everything doesn't go explodey and whatever, which apparently hasn't 100% worked in the past. But why does he need Bob to write down something he's already done? Which I think he, he said he's already done an escape potion. Dresden's also not very good at remembering that kind of thing because, well, which is why, why doesn't he write that down? It just seems, I don't know, that's the big question. Why not just have Bob tell him once, write the crap down, make himself a little index about what's in what journal. That's just my library and talk though. There you go. Organization. Get it. Um, speaking of the ingredients, where the hell does he get some of the intangible stuff? I mean, we've got like mouse scampers, candlelight shadows. Where the hell do you get that? How the hell do you get that? I, I honestly want to know. I want to know how, how do you put mouse scampers into a bottle? Because it's obviously, it's not like a, it's not like he wrote that down, you know, and like, oh, think about it. He, he talks about it like it's a real tangible thing that he's got bottled up. Not like on a recording. He doesn't put a cassette or a CD of mouse scampers into the potion, which I guess would be applicable. Even if those technologies worked around him, it just doesn't, how does this work? This is insane. Uh, the love potion, like I said. Not very cheap. And Dresden says it's cheap. Discuss. That's all I got out there. 
And how do you ingest these materials? Like, some of this stuff's straight up dangerous. Yeah, no, no, magic. A wizard did it, sure. But, I mean, even if the magic does change it, we never see anything else like this in the series that Harry can do. And it seems pretty base level. I mean, I'm sure Harry's pretty advanced in whatever he is. and But, and, and this may be telling, he does some pretty miraculous crap in this series. Mostly big boom magic. But we never really see anything, one thing like transmuted into another by a base level wizard like Harry. Maybe. I don't know. It just seems, it just seems wildly inaccurate that these, the stuff that's going into these magic potions could ever be edible at all. It just seems horrible that any of this would be in there. I mean, even if the pretty... At one point, he's supposed to put diamond dust in there. I'm pretty sure if you drank that, it would kill you. And if potions are this, it's just... The potions don't make sense at all, which... Spoiler alert, they get abandoned pretty quickly. I think he only uses like one other, maybe two other books. He uses potions. Outside of that, it just gets left behind. And with good reason. It doesn't make any sense at all. I mean, it, it makes a little mystical sense. Metaphysical, all that quasi-physical, whatever he calls it. But in general, potions don't make sense in this series <laughs> at all. Ew. Like, some of those things would straight up, like, rip up your insides pretty bad, give you a bad stomachache. Anyway, so that's it for this week. Uh, thank you for listening to Wizard in the Book, an unofficial Dresden Files podcast. We are part of the band library, B-A-N-N-E-D. Follow us on Twitter, Facebook, all that stuff. You can also help pay, help us out with Patreon, patreon.com slash bandlibrary. Dollar a month, get you these episodes a little bit early. I'm trying to put them out pretty fast, but I'm moving at, this, at the moment, so things may be a little bit late coming out. I'm working on it, I'm sorry. I still don't have a closing thing for this show. You know, something to be like, I don't know, goodbye. Go do spells and stuff. That sounds really non-committal. Go do spells and stuff. <laughs> Maybe that'll be the new sign out for this show. But that's all I got. Uh, thank you for listening. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>